Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The winner of the 2012 Sundance Film Festival Award for Directing, Middle of Nowhere is an elegant and emotional drama chronicling a woman's separation from her husband uh, who is incarcerated and her journey to maintain her marriage and her identity. Starting into the hollow end of her husband's, uh, Derek's eight-year prison experience, Ruby Sexton fights to support him on the inside and survive in her own identity crisis on the outside. We're joined today by the director and producer and writer of this remarkable independent film production, Middle of Nowhere. The director, writer, producer, Ava DuVernay, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And um, just uh, uh, a, a wonderful film. I'm going to say that <laughs> probably a couple times during this interview. Uh, and uh, I would first like to ask you about the story, how you came to... Uh, to write this, what was your, uh, what was the sort of source material for this, uh, and what was it about in the writing of it? At what point did you see uh, yourself directing this as a as a narrative film? Well, thank you for the compliment. Happy to be on. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm a writer director, so everything I write, I aim to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, this film I wrote um, actually in 2003, and it sat in a drawer for several years while I made other things and figured out how to put the money together for this one, um, which we made for $200,000 in 19 days. 19 days. So, mm-hmm. so this, this film is set, set in, um, in uh, the South Central Compton area of Los Angeles, which is where I'm from. Um, that's where kind of the similarities in terms of stories end. Mm-hmm. Um, and really I started to kind of use the space that I was familiar with to look at people within it that I'm familiar with, such as the, you know, literally millions of women around the country who are um, waiting for loved ones who are incarcerated um, in Compton and South Korea. There are disproportionate numbers of black and brown people behind bars, and so um, there are a lot of people left behind. And so it was really uh, intention, the intention was to look at their lives and to research that and try to bring some truth to that. And so interviewed about 150 women over the course of the writing of the script and, um, and really kind of framed it all within a, in a, lovely, within a beautiful love story, um, uh, all about a woman named Ruby and her struggle with her husband who's behind bars. It is, it is a uh, love story, uh, and um, her, her affection, her love for her husband uh, is, uh, burns brightly from the very first, uh, first frame of this film, when we see her on the bus on the way to uh, to visit him in in prison, and uh, just uh, tell me a little bit about casting this film because uh, I'm I had not seen the work of uh, I don't think anyone in this film. Uh, I know. Uh, tell me a little bit about the casting and how you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm surprised you haven't seen the work of anyone in the film. Um, I mean, Imiati Coronado, the lead, is is a brand new face. Right. So she's uh, kind of an ingenue and was plucked out of the audition process. She had originally come in auditioning for another part, and the casting director, Aisha Coley, thought 
um, that she uh, might be of interest to me for the lead. So I was bought some tape on her and eventually auditioned her myself and thought she was really extraordinary. So that was how that was cast. But David Oyelowo, who plays yes. the bus drivers, I mean, I have the help. The Help, Red Tails, yeah. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, in major parts in all these films. He's in Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise that comes out in uh, Christmas. He's in Lincoln right now, starring opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, he's in The Paperboy, uh, to Can and just Open. Yeah. And uh, it was lovely that he was able to come and play with us and was a big fan of his. Yeah. And Amari uh, Hardwick I'd worked with before in my previous feature film, I Will Follow. He was also just in Sony's Huge Sparkle with Whitney Houston. And... Um, and it's done, you know, a kick-ass, the A-team, a bunch of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it was a, a lovely cast of kind of character actors who came together to complete the ensemble. Yeah, no, I, I should should have backed up. I had seen David uh, in, in, in other work, but uh, but for a, a, this film really rests on uh, Emiazzi Coronali. Uh, her her performance is, uh, she, I think she's in virtually every scene in the film. Uh, just a wonderful nuanced portrayal um of a a woman in the middle of nowhere trying to make as as i saw somewhere um i think uh, what happens in between making a decision is what goes on it's uh in this film and uh what a find um she really was very very compelling in this role tell me a little bit about uh, working with her as as her first significant role yeah, well, you know, it's different um, working with a trained actress who just has not been given a part as opposed to a non-actor who doesn't know the craft. Um, she's a trained actor, and so she just hadn't gotten a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and so working with her was really lovely. She's, you know, uh, done a ton of commercials and a, and a ton of theater and had been training and studying, and so, you know, we worked really well within the way that I give direction, which is to try to, you know, have a steady hand while being very collaborative. And um, and so, yeah, it was a really lovely experience. And, you know, I, I you know, I'm, one of the thrills of the film is that we were able to give her a kind of nourishing, positive first film experience. And I hope that that's something that just personally she can take with her for the rest of her work. She's already been cast in a couple of other films. Mm-hmm. You know, she signed with Big Agency. She's, you know, on kind of <laughs> Oscar buzz list right now as a dark horse long shot. And so it's a lot of lovely things happening for her. I'm really happy for her. Terrific. Well, again, let's go back a little bit to the, the story itself. Uh, as you described it, I mean, uh, uh, we basically... Her husband, um, Ruby's husband, Derek, is in prison on uh, on a eight-year prison sentence. Hopefully he'll get out in five, and there's sort of, sort of what keeps uh, hope alive for her in the process of, of uh, her devotion to him. Um, what is fantastic about the, uh, to me, about this uh, film, one of the strengths of it, is the nuances in, in, the, in the characters themselves. These are fully formed characters. Uh, they are they they have their their strengths and their weaknesses, and I again this is a testament to your writing. Um, tell me a little bit about your process in developing these different characters uh, and your this ability in the, in the screenplay to give them these different facets. Completely, uh, everyone feels very well rounded in this film. Tell me a little bit about how you're. You, this is, did you workshop this? Or what was the process for uh, for development of these characters? 
Yeah, I wrote the film for about a year. Okay. Um, I was, you know, writing at nights and on weekends because I had a full-time job. Um, but I think just in general, you know, once I have the story kind of beat it out and mm-hmm. kind of know where the sto- story is going, um, you know, I just really work on the character development like ad nauseum. I mean, I literally do passes just for each character mm-hmm. where I'm looking at, you know, how they are referenced either directly or indirectly in scenes that they're not even in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just really making sure that each character has its own beginning, middle, and end. These are people. You know, we're creating life here, so they can't be just cardboard cutouts. So, you know, even if it's a character that only has one scene, for example, there's a scene in the film with, um, you know, a woman that um, Ruby's husband had a previous relationship with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that scene, my goal is to just figure out how to make her as fully formed and non-stereotypical as possible, not the usual kind of quote-unquote baby mama, mm-hmm. but, you know, someone that's flesh and blood with with her own, you know, obstacles and challenges and feelings about what's going on. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just, you know, kind of having the intention of, of creating full people and full characters. And, you know, if you go into it in that way as a screenwriter, you know, it's hard to come out with, with less than that. I think so often, and, and when I was, you know, kind of studying screenwriting with all the workshops and and books and all that stuff, you know, it, it, it's so much about the, the story beats and structure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, that's desperately needed. But, you know, what I always thought there wasn't enough of and what I encourage people to really look at is, you know, character development in a very personal way, character by character. Um, what do we know about these people? Do we care about these people? What are their good and bad? You know, um, their history, whether it's on the page or not, you need to know it. Uh, especially if you're going to direct it, because they're going to ask you. They're going to ask you on set when you have no time. Right. They're going to ask you the questions, so right, right. know it. So, yeah, that that was a bit of the process. And, um, well, and yeah, and that's, I put it in the drawer, and then I came back to it and did a polish, a very quick kind of two-week polish before we shot. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Ava DuVernay, the uh, director of Middle of Nowhere. Um, the film is in selected theaters around uh, the, and then we'll get after we'll get to where it is right now. But uh, in terms of theater, I saw it at, at Independent Downtown um, in Los oh, Angeles. Okay, and um, a terrific theater. And by the way, a scene in the film. <laughs> yes, yes, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah very kind of cool. weird to be sitting there, and then we're like, wait a minute, did I just pass that? <laughs> exactly my thought. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> recognize it. Well, uh, and you, the you had the great fortune if you will through casting to be able to hand off these fully formed characters in your script to amazing actors uh and i want to point to one person uh obviously david oyello uh who's who plays a part of brian who's who enters into ruby's life uh at a very key part key moment in her in her life as uh, as part of this uh, but uh, I really, really thought that Lorraine Toussaint, if I'm saying that correctly, yes. was just fantastic as the Mother Ruth. Un- I just thought she, and this is kind of a great example of what I'm talking about. A woman at the beginning of the film feels a, a bit shrill, a bit over overbearing. But as the film moves forward, her character becomes kind of a catalyst, if you will, for, or at least a the truth teller in a, in a lot of ways still keeps that sort of edge to her she's a terrific actress but i just thought her character was a key part of the film and understanding all the uh, rosie and ruby 
and understanding where they were coming from. Tell me a little bit about her character and also about this just remarkable actor, uh, Lorraine Toussaint. Yeah, no, thank you for asking about her. I was really, I think, one of the pleasures of this whole campaign was uh, Katie Turan of the L.A. Times saying that you won't see a better supporting uh, performance this year than Lorraine Toussaint in Middle of Nowhere. She was really, um, just brought extraordinary power and experience and skill and talent to the part. And so, yeah, I mean, she's a, basically she is, um, you know, a woman who had expectations for her daughters that were not met. Yeah. And she is not going to go softly into that good night and not, you know, make it known that she is disappointed. Um, but within that, it's a trigger for Ruby to, um, you know, it's a, it's a, like you said, a truth teller. It's a mirror, um, so that Ruby doesn't kind of exist in this vacuum with her husband Derek. You know, there's a reflection of her right. and her past self right. coming through Ruth's eyes every time. So one of the directions that I gave to Emiati Cornaldi in the film was to I don't know, if, you know, most people don't notice, but she never looks at her mother. They 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 don't meet eyes uh, at any point in the film. Okay. Um, and so that's just that was just an actorly thing. Um, but you know it's very hard for her to look at her. She only looks at her when she's like literally it's a direct question, or she has to. And um, and so yes, because it's a, just a reflection that she can't bear. Yeah. Uh, and so yes, you know it, it, I think it's 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 really important to have those kind of characters and narratives that you know are um, are. Uh, you know, kind of the the, the moral center, um, but so often that center is reflected in a positive, wrapped in kind of a positive skin. Yes. Um, and so the thing we wanted to do is kind of give her a bit of an edge, and you know, it's a bit of a bait and switch. I mean, I think one of the things that we tried to do in this is kind of myth bust and, and break down stereotypes of the standard stereotypical black mother character and what you think that's going to be um, when you see her. I think all of the characters, my goal was for them all to make turns that are unexpected as you watch the film. Yeah. Um, to really kind of drive on the point that, you know, you do not know these people. We do not have enough films about African-American life um, that are not caricatures for you to say that you know us. You can only know us if you actually know someone yeah. or if you, you know, seek out films that have more complex, deeper characterizations. And so that's one of the kind of social comments that I'm making with the film. Well, Eva, in, this is, as you refer to it, this is a, a film that has some specific uh, uh, characteristics of un, the unfortunate black experience in this country of, of incarceration, which gives this film that, uh, uh, that, that I would agree. But this, to call, this, is an, this is a human experience for sure. Uh, the interaction between the people in, the, in this family are very real across whatever culture or ethnicity. So it, it is that and, and more. Um, so for me, watching it, that, uh, that's just the, the reaction. I just going back to uh, Ruth uh, Lorraine uh, Toussaint's uh, character and her the sort of the dynamic quality of her character. I just felt that she was. Um, uh, it, it's hard to tell, and you could. I think it, the, the strength of this film, you can argue about this interaction, but the uh, that she was the catalyst for those girls, as well as an impediment to their development in some ways. It's yeah, no, absolutely. The, sort you know, of the force of her, yeah. her personality. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, 
you know, it's definitely a passive-aggressive kind of dysfunctional yeah. relationship where, you know, I really don't know anyone who doesn't have one of those at some point in their life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, families are full of, you know, real complex, especially interactions between mothers and daughters. Yeah. You know, are, they're just very complex. And so, you know, I think that there are, you know, people serve dual purposes in our lives. And I think it's, you know, really astute to see that, yes, she was kind of, you know, pushing them forward as well as holding them back, you know, with, with very much the same action and the same demeanor. Um, you know, in some ways they're they're trying to please her, you know, knowing that they never can. Um, and at some point you just give up. And then, you know, how does that look? Um, and how do you get up again? So, yeah. you know, all of that is, is going on within the, in the the relationships between Ruth and Rosie and uh, and Ruby. And, um, and, you know, and the two sisters are reacting to their mother differently. You know, um, yeah. you know, Rosie's completely withdrawn and tried to cut her off, you know, and, and Ruby is, is still reaching out and keeping in touch and coming by to bring food and kind of enduring the, you know, the wrath of what she's going to get. You know, in some ways, you know, she knows that her mother's right, I think. Yeah, no, it's all. Now, uh, now I'm going to sh- uh, switch gears a little bit. By the way, we're li- we're speaking with uh, Ava DuVernay, the director of uh, Middle of Nowhere. Tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, firm A F F R M, the group you're yeah. you're working with. Yeah, it's a distribution company yes. um, that I founded in 2001 to take care of and to distribute um, uh, black art house films. Um, you know, we find that there's a niche. You know, you have what's quote-unquote a black film. It's usually studio fare that's, right. you know, broad comedy or, um, you know, relationship comedy or historical drama set two centuries ago. And yeah. you've got, um, you know, and then you've got the, you know, in the art house world, which is, you know, pretty devoid of, of African-American imagery. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really beautiful, you know, group of filmmakers that are making a cross-section of the two. And the films really are having a hard time finding homes around the country and ways to connect to audiences, which we know are there. I mean, we know that anyone who loves good films is going to see a good film regardless of who's in it. Right. Um, and so it's really just about breaking down the stereotypes of what art house is, which is a kind of exclusively white or foreign, right. and what black films are, which is kind of known to be very broad and studio-like. You know, there's a place in the middle, and, and that's where a firm lives. And 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 this is the distribution. So uh, and uh, speaking of that, one of the few films it, that I think uh, fits the sort of the, breaks the mold, if you will, goes back. I'm so sorry. Um, is uh, Medicine for Melancholy, uh, mm-hmm. which another film for watching it was just a, a different, uh, you know, different film. I mean, than than we generally get in terms of the so-called Af- black experience in America. It was just really this this film, in fact. Yeah, so I just thought there are, there are a few out there. There have been a well, few. Well, there are more. There, oh, there yeah. Are many. yeah. There are many, but, they're, but you're not seeing them. Right. And so, you know, Medicine was lucky to get distribution for IFC. Right. But, you know, there were 10 other films that came out that year that were not lucky enough to get distribution from IFC that maybe were not as palatable to a company. You know, uh, Middleton from Melancholy and Barry, uh, no, Barry, yeah. um, you know, is a film that, you know, art house lovers who are not black can look at and say, wow, it's pretty much the universal experience just with black folks. Uh, that, that's good to pick up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that can go down. But there were other films that year that might not have been as palatable, but were still beautiful, maybe were a little more culturally specific, yeah. um, that never saw distribution. And, and those films are being made each and every year. They're just not reaching film lovers like you. 
Yeah. So what a firm is trying to do is say, look, let's try to you know pick up a couple of these and get them into theaters. Um, we distribute two a year and two, two a year in 2012 and 2011, and in 2013 um, we're upping it to four. And so it's not a huge output, but it is kind of Good. making sure that these films don't disappear because they deserve to be seen. Let, let our listeners know where they can online where they can go. Yeah, affirm.com. It's okay. A-F-F-R-M.com. It's the word affirm with no I. No right. I in team. No, okay. That's so, yeah, so it, it, it stands for the African American Film Festival Releasing Movement, and basically it's a collaborative of the finest film festivals and black museums and arts activists around the country who've come together and said, you know, we're going to substitute what you can't buy in ads. We're going to do the local press promotion, word of mouth, street promotion on the streets in our various cities. And then my company, Affirm, um, puts it out in theaters and does the national publicity. And basically, we essentially release films nationally in theaters. Fantastic. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's we getting other avenues for distribution for films is uh, the wave of the future for, for filmmakers, period. Just It's such a uh, difficult hurdle to clear for so many filmmakers who've made terrific films, as you are you describing. So... Well, congratulations again on the winning of the uh, Best Director at the Sundance Film Festival for this uh, last year, 2012, for Middle of Nowhere. And for the film itself, I just, uh, I'm just i hopeful uh, that it receives the level of recognition it deserves in the award season, which I, I think it will. I don't know. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. No, I really appreciate the conversation. It's such a, a kind of deep conversation about the film itself as opposed to the politics around it. Really refreshing. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.